Welcome to the BCJ Podcast on RearCatJournal.com. I'm your host, Kelsey Brendel. And I'm Chad Brendel, and he's Justin Berg. And, uh, hi, buddy. How you doing? <laughs> Not happy with Temple. Yeah, you said a lot of things about Temple that we cannot air on a family pa- podcast. <laughs> you were you were very upset with uh, the the now Fran Dunphy-less Owls. Yeah, I mean, I knew they were going to lose. I look just look at the numbers; it wasn't a shock. Seventy fifth in offense, eightieth in defense, whatever it was, and then they go up against a twenty something ranked offense. Like that's how I the mean, tournament works usually. If we're but being still. honest, they didn't belong in. Yeah, I don't think. That, <laughs> I mean. The, the, the only reason that they were really in was because Houston went whatever in three. Right. And one and one loss was to them. I mean, they won two good games at home. Played and the, Cincinnati and the tough. stunk. Yeah, that's that's reason number two. But, yeah, you want, they weren't. You want any proof that the bubble stunk? Temple got in comfortably. <laughs> well, not comfortably because they were first four, but Temple was in. Yeah. Absolutely sh- no business in. No. So, well, they're out now. So, yeah. I guess everything everything – you know what do they say? Like water rise or water rises to the top, or I don't know what what's the what, saying what, there. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, something something of something. that nature. But either way, they're out. So have a good uh, rest of your March, Temple Owls. All right, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, I'm gonna I want to I want to get into some things with Berg here before we uh, before we talk about the Hawkeyes and the NCAA tournament. I don't. I mean, we talked on everything's jelly, uh, the 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 sister podcast of this podcast, which really it's just Berg hosts instead of me, and I'm the guest instead of him, or I'm the co-host instead of him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and the recording is just on a telephone instead yeah. of actually having a, a little studio set up like you have, so it's not as good a quality, but it's more more natural. It's like, hey, yeah, we're just sure. here's here's our phone conversation. You you're getting the eavesdrop on us. He tries to do that to me by the way, people. He tries to rant like I I now that I'm used to it, he tries to randomly call me and then not tell me that we're recording a podcast <laughs> until <laughs> halfway through. Yeah, well, what that's the I mean, why not? That we got to make it natural. You don't know what's coming. That's dirty. It's no dirty. No time to prepare. Sir. You just have to you have to wing it and just be just come as you are. We're not, we're not trying to Get all prepared. I want to see. I want to see what's really on your mind. <laughs> but the Cincinnati Bearcats are uh, American Athletic Tournament champions. It was a very good week uh, weekend down in Memphis. Had a great time. Got to go down there with my pops. Um, got to take in all the games. Got to uh, enjoy the celebration. Uh, during the celebration, somebody tossed me a piece of the net. So I've got some net. I did not cut down the net. I know there was some confusion on that. No, I did not climb the ladder and cut down the net. Somebody tossed me a piece of net as I was covering the post-game celebration, and I put it in my pocket because that's exactly what you would do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A a great performance against Houston. Uh, A good cap to the the first segment of this – the second segment of this season – um, the regular season ended in a little bit of depressing fashion, so very cool to see the Bearcats uh, get a chance to celebrate and uh, cut down the nets, hold up the trophy. Uh, I don't know. I, I joked with Nizir. Uh, we were at we were at uh, open media on Tuesday. I joked with them. I said, "Man, they they you don't where's the trophy?" So they took it away from me. I said, "You're bigger than them, bro." Like. <laughs> 
I, I didn't think he, he was ever going to let that thing go. He was holding on to it for dear life. But um, uh, any uh, any overall thoughts now that you've had a couple days to uh, to rest on uh, what happened in Memphis and, and, and digest it all? Yeah, I got two, two thoughts. First of all, the major adjustment by the UC coaching staff to blitz the living daylights out of Corey Davis Jr. every time he caught the ball, double team, give him a big and a quick guard and say, uh, you, ain't, you ain't getting anything – you're not going to get those looks you got the Sunday before. Right. You're not just turning gonna, the corner on us. Yeah. And you're not able to just – you can't just do a little, you know, crossover step back or any of those in, in rhythm type of shots because you just – there's two people there. So you can't even get one way or the other. That you, There's somebody there. So that took him out of the game completely. And I don't – he barely got double digits. I can't remember if he got nine or – I don't remember what happened. But he, was, he wasn't a factor. That's the point. And um, – but overall, Houston just – I mean – they couldn't make anything either way. So they were gassed. They yeah, were tired. that was that was uh, that was a fortunate break for for UC that they were not hitting shots. But the other part about it that stood out to me, and I'm going to steal this from Bill Simmons because I just I've been listening to him for years, and he always talks about in basketball that like there's certain players that have that fu in them, and um, there's not that many of them. It's it's and th- what that means is like I don't care what's going on, I'm going to kill you. I don't care if I've missed my last eight shots. I don't care what happened in the game before. I don't care about anything. I'm just going to look you in the eye and say, I am going to kill you. And that is what Jaron Cumberland did in that game. He was just like, F you, Houston. Here I am. Do the best you can to stop me. Put anybody you want on me. I don't care. And I'm going to score 30. Yeah, I'm going to score 33. on him. Yeah. And he if, he if he makes a couple of free throws down the stretch, he gets his career high. He was one shot, one shy. So 33 points, eight rebounds. Just... It was it was like a it was just one of those deals where he just wasn't going to let UC lose and he was going to it was nice that he was hitting a lot of shots that helped too because some of those shots like those close in ones and you know some of those some of those other ones that like runners and things like that where he's been missing those down the stretch of the season they were all going in and so whatever Houston tried didn't work and um, then you know he got some help from his boys but for the most part it was. I'm going to kill you. You're not going to do anything about it. I'm Jaron Cumberland. You know what's been really impressive to me more than anything? What's that, boy? It's how much he's grown as a leader. How much he's grown in understanding, like, everybody looks up to him. Everybody looks to him. Everybody on that team feeds off of him and... I didn't see this up until maybe the last month, month and a half, but he's embraced it. A perfect example for me. Um, if you go back and watch the the immediate aftermath of Logan Johnson against UConn getting that steal to seal the game. Memphis. Was, Memphis, sorry, Memphis. Um, the whole team rushes out. Nazir picks him up. Everybody is, like, going crazy. And Jaron kind of stands at the back of the line. And when everybody got done, Jaron just kind of walked up to him and, like, <clears throat> and hugged him. And said some stuff to him, like, you know, just between the two of them. It wasn't rah-rah. It wasn't emotional. But it was, like, like almost like father-son, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, like I'm proud of you. And to see that coming from him, I didn't know if he had that in him. 
remember at the beginning of the season we talked about leadership and we assumed like Trey Scott was going to have to be the vocal leader and Justin Jennifer and Kane were going to assume some of those responsibilities as this season has gone on Jaron has become more comfortable finding his role as a leader and I think that's been a huge part of the process for him and if you go to the tournament you know, when guys do things, like, they look to him for acknowledgement. They look to him for, like, reassurance that that, that, that he's proud of them. And I, I don't know that I've seen anybody kind of take that role for UC over the past couple years. I mean, maybe SK a little bit. Yeah. Um, But it's been awesome to see that, like, maturation, that development from him to understand, like, I'm the best player and these guys all look to me for motivation inspiration whatever and he's embraced it it's been really cool yeah and you see him just throughout the game doing that like you know maybe after a dead ball he'll go up and just he'll you can see like maybe a defensive breakdown or something you're on the free throw line when the other team's getting ready to shoot whatever the case is he'll just grab somebody and and give him a little quick hey this is what you should have done or hey do try this next time or whatever he's trying to say or just stick with it or he's he's he is, and, and you, so you can see it throughout the, the whole thing. And then if you look at the way that the team is shaped out, it's like he is the guy, but there's nobody – I think that um, the other guys have really – and I asked him before the season about, you know, he had this kind of deal in high school where he he obviously had to be the alpha. And um, he said, listen, as long as guys find their roles, I think we'll be a great team. And you could say that they have. I mean, everybody, everybody, you, you could just name a player and, and you just be like, yeah. that's it. That's his role. Yeah. And that's what he does. And sometimes some, there's some, there's some teams where you're like, well, we don't know who the main guy is. We have certain options here, depending on this matchup. Now nah, this team, it's everything's settled and everyone's doing what they need to do. But the fact that you can add that leadership to it and I, we weren't sure, I think that was definitely a question mark is like, who's going to be the you know, the heart and soul, the leader, leader of this team. And he's stepped forth and he's been in this role in high school. I think it's been well documented that when uh, he was a senior and it was kind of him and a few other players. I mean, he, he just said like, you know, get on my back, but also um, his coach just said like he just knows so much about the game. That's another part of this. Like he's just so knowledgeable IQ wise, all those, all those things that he can, he, he, he sees everything that's going on on the court. So he's probably just, he's actually a coach on the floor as well yeah and i think the thing that that to me stands out is is that it's been natural it hasn't been forced like he's not a a a rah-rah you know in your face like loud vocal always talking guy and he didn't force that like he's found his own way to display that leadership and it and it has been very natural it has been very organic uh it has been jaron being who jaron is but just understanding what else is being asked of him. And I think that's how you have to do it because I think, you know, that stuff is, is people can sense when you're not being natural. They can sense when you're not being yourself. Oh yeah. And, and he hasn't had any of that. He's been very natural. He's been Jaron throughout the entire season. And he's just been Jaron on a much higher level uh, than we've seen in the past couple of years. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the the quintessential moment for me is he gets that offensive rebound, flips it back in, and gets fouled, and that's kind of when like it's settled in that like we're gonna win this game, 
he throws up the double gun salute to the bench. Hmm. And it was like, yeah, yeah, Houston's not coming back this time. <laughs> the, the run is not coming. They, they, these guys are going to have an answer. So we, we talked about this the other day, but so for the listeners who who didn't sit through that or listen to that whole thing on Everything's Jelly, but the beginning of the game with Armani Brooks, just just go through that real quick again because I really enjoyed your, your point of view on that. Well, I was like right where, especially on the second one, Armani Brooks was like, four feet from me when he hit that shot um that we were dangerously close to the floor by the way yeah right in the corner there yeah dangerously close to the floor (laughs) um but both times the one was opposite and you could still hear him but he was feeling himself and he hits both of those threes and he's just staring jaron down going oh my god oh my (laughs) god and jaron's just looking at him and you can see like bubbling he's bubbling and then he scored, what, seven of the first 12? Trey Scott scored the other five and and had an answer for everything Brooks did, and it was like, oh, Armani poked the wrong bear. Like, <laughs> the, the, that was a bad thing to do, sir, because even from – and I've talked to some people around the program that were around that morning. They said even from when he woke up that morning, like the look was just on his face that that Houston was not beating them three times. And uh, Armani Brooks flamed that even a little bit more, <laughs> yeah. and it was it was curtains. He was <laughs> dialed in, brother. And like I said on Everything's Jelly, he was one for seven from three and still scored thirty three points. Right. Imagine if his shot was falling in that game. That would have been a forty burger, maybe a fifty burger, easy. So yeah. it, it was good times. It was really good times. Yeah. So, so the tournament overall. I mean, you know, win three straight. You got, you got Jaron had a great first game offensively. Second game, not so much. Third game, yes, sir. The most consistent guy you have to say was Trayvon Scott, right? You voted him as a first team all tournament team. Pretty much either a double double or right on, right up near a double double all three games. He was, his face up game was smooth, man. Man, he was so confident. He would just catch, let it fly. He was hitting threes, he was hitting jumpers at the elbow. He was taking the ball to the rack and, um, you know, on the offensive glass, um, no turnovers really. And, and staying, staying out of foul trouble. Like what, what a performance three days from, from Trayvon down there. He was great. If Jaron would have had like, a, a normal Jaron game, 22 points or so somewhere in that range, I would have voted Trey Scott MVP. Wow. That's the impact I thought he had in, in all three games. You know, obviously, Jaron was the, the money guy in the in the title game, but Trey was just rock solid. And I thought he – up until Jaron went nuts in that run in the middle part of the second half, up until that part, I would have voted Trey, and I was ready to vote Trey MVP. And then Jaron just kept scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring. And it was like, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I wanted to do it, but it's not going to happen this time. You got to give the big fella, you got to give Jaron the nod. But Trey was awesome. Uh, energy was great. The biggest thing for him has been confidence. When his confidence has been up, he's been really, really good. And, um, man, that, that it added a different element that that we haven't seen. Yeah, that's – 
This is a nice one-two punch, especially because the way that teams are going to play Jaron, I mean, there's other guys that are going to be open, and, and, and they're going to guard Jennifer with his percentage. So Trayvon's kind of the guy as far as on the perimeter, and he's stepping up and knocking him in. He's That was impressive performance. Let me ask you this. Um, sorry to hijack your show here, but I, I wanted to – because you know we talk about who you know, who played really well down there, and and there's somebody who's, I think that um, people are wondering like you know kind of where is he gone of late, and that's Keith Williams. He's he's one for his last 13 from three. That doesn't help, but you know he's he hasn't been as much of a factor. His his minutes are they're down a little. I know that's probably because Kane's playing a little bit better. But like, what are you seeing from Keith as far as like what's different? in the last like five or six games versus maybe like the, the meat of the schedule when he was pretty much putting up double figures every game. I think the scouting report is just kind of out on him. Um, I think it's going to be interesting against Iowa and we'll get into this. They athletically like the, the wings and the American have been, are pretty athletic. Um, so he hasn't had that, that freakish advantage, especially when you're talking about the top of the American. Yeah. Um, so he hasn't had that edge that he had at the beginning of the season and that he had early in the conference season when, you know, they were playing the lower teams in the, in the American and they just didn't have any answer for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's been some answers for him uh, of late. And I think he's got to get back to the things that he did um really to get himself going which were attacking the offensive glass getting out in transition um making plays you know not just the only time he's really had a lot of success has been uh getting steals and and going and finishing off a steal um he's got to be that guy that outlet guy on the wing and I know some of it is they've been asking him to be, you know, kind of involved in defensive rebounding. It's a numbers game. Um, even if he's not getting a ton of defensive rebounds, having him in there, having his athleticism there uh, definitely helps you out, helps te- keeps teams off the offensive glass. Um, I think, you know, we're probably going to see that again as well uh, on on Friday because Iowa does they're, – they're kind of like you see. They're good on the defensive glass – or they're good on the offensive black glass, but not as good on the defensive glass. Uh, so you're going to have to keep them off the off the, the rim. Um, so, you know, I, I think some of it won. He's got to, I think, if he sees a three fall, I think it'll take the lid off of it some for him. But he just hasn't been as aggressive uh, doing the other things, doing the little things that got him a lot of points um, early in conference play, through the middle of conference play. And I think he's physically, he's probably hit a wall a little bit. I know he's dealt with a lot of different little bumps and bruises. I know, you know, his body is pretty beat up. Every time I see him, he's he's getting something massaged or worked out. Or uh, he had a problem with his hand. He's had a problem with his shin. He's had a problem with his thigh. You know, a lot of that stuff doesn't ever really get talked about too much. Um, but those are just some of the things I know he's dealt with at different times. Um should be you know pretty healthy now uh this was all stuff you know through the middle of the season but just the bumps and bruises that your body takes you know through a long season that he's never been through before you know what i mean 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think also it could be that when some of these games are more meaningful, he may not be getting as many touches, right? Because Jaron's got the ball a lot, and um, he's playing a lot of two, two-man two game with maybe Kane or Trayvon or somebody like that, maybe Nasir. So you're kind of – Keith's kind of like off on the side. He's not really getting a lot of a lot of chances. And so as a result, in the last five games, he only has two total free-throw attempts. So you can tell he's just not really getting – a chance to get into the paint and, um, you know, attack. And, and when he does attack, he's been kind of going to the left and the guy's been right with him. You mentioned the top of the conference guys that can stick with him. And then you could even say like for Wichita state, they put Dexter Dennis on him. Who's every bit of the athlete that Keith right. Williams is. And so he, you know, he was not able to turn the court. He's had a lot of, a lot of plays this year where he's kind of gone to his left and been able to sneak all the way in and either use the left hand or, or, or use the right um, on that side and he'll get fouled or he can finish it. So he's, he's missed a few of those. And, and yeah, it just, I, it, I, it's hard, you know, you don't want to try to make any guesses and stuff, but his body language at times just, he's, he maybe he's kind of like, he goes so many possessions without really getting a look or, you know, getting a touch yeah. or whatever the case is. So, you know, as a coach, you probably would say, well, Hey, you know, go get it off the offensive glass or, or, you know, do that kind of thing, you know, cut more, whatever the case is. But, um, you know, he's a young player and, 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 you know, he's expecting to continue to to ascend like he had been through the season. And now it's kind of like, all right, let's get the ball to Jaron and and we got to slow it down. And, and so that, that takes him out of the equation some. And so he's that's, that could also be part of the adjustment for him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I let, let's do uh, before we get into this 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 game, let's do some uh, superlatives, some uh, some favorite moments, uh, because. Once you know, once the season ends this weekend, next weekend, when whenever the run does come to an end, we'll be talking about that and won't be uh, won't be reflecting as much. Um, what what was your favorite game this year? Mm. That's a good question, Xavier probably, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or UCLA. I don't know. That, that those would probably be the ones that stick out. Um, I mean, you could you could go with the Houston game the other day. But probably, just as as a longtime Bearcat fan, I would have to say anytime you can beat Xavier by fifteen, I'm gonna have to lean that direction. What about I'm, you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go Tulsa on the road. Oh yeah, because I think that set the tone for this team that no matter what happens, we can make a run. We can get back in it. We I think it set the tone for them. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, fighting to the finish and never giving in, if you will. Um, that was that was corny. Sorry, it was very corny. Uh, <laughs> fight song reference, of course. Uh, but I, I think that really set the tone, especially Kane Broom scoring 14 straight points and then hitting the dagger to, to really drive the knife in at Tulsa. Uh, I think in terms of you had lost to ECU – you had a pretty good non-conference, but you know the two games, the two biggest games at Mississippi State and, and Ohio State, the two games against the, the probably the best teams at that point. Even though you know both of Ohio State especially fell off towards the end, um, you hadn't won those games. You lost to ECU. I think the season at that point, if they don't win that, I think things could have spiraled for a week or two. Um, and would have made this whole outlook on things very different. And man, they they 
they really gained a lot of confidence in that after that game. I thought that we're yeah. going to get this done. We're going to figure it out when it matters. And uh, and also, Kane Broom, outside of the the trip to Destin, had really struggled to that point, and that kind of got him back on track. And I think that was huge as well. So for me, I'm I'm going to go that game. Yeah, that's a good one. Plus, that was the that was the first of three in like five or six days, whatever whatever it was. And yeah, and they were all hard to win. Two OTs, and then South Florida gave them everything they could ask for. So and and they also had you know the team half the team was sick. So yeah, okay, I'll 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 go with that. Um, MVP is obvious, Jaron. Right. I mean, there's not much discussion on that, right? Correct. Uh, most improved, but I have a caveat. Most improved from the day of the Ohio State game to the day they beat Houston. Who do you think mm. was the most improved player on the team? Well, I, I think you're probably gonna, you. I think you're you probably use that caveat to go to. Trayvon, which I, I would to, to me it, it, it's probably uh, neck and neck between Trayvon and just Justin Jennifer. The the importance of Justin Jennifer this year. Oh, it's been ha- huge. Ha- no having question. a guy, having a guy that can shoot like that. You, you, you know, people always talk about like you know UC doesn't have enough shooters, and this year they had two guys over forty percent from three. I don't know if Jaron's still there. I know he was. He was. He, he was there for most of the time. Yeah. So. But but the fact that you have a guy that teams have to deal with on the perimeter like that, and then to go along with his his usual, you know, from the last couple of years, never turning the ball over. Um, but he also added a lot more to his offensive game, taking the ball to the basket, flipping shots in over Taco Fall with the right hand. But even just he's been doing that a bunch down the stretch. So um, I would say I would go with Justin as far as like what he brought to the table and what he brings to the table, what he brought, what he brought to the table coming into this year and the Ohio state game and then beyond. Um, But if you were to say Trayvon Scott, like, you know, I I would definitely agree with that. I I got somebody else. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Nizir Brooks. Ooh. I think he has become a staple on this team. I think he has become an anchor uh, around the rim. I, I think that was, Everyone's biggest concern was both him and Trey. Um, you know, what were they going to get uh, in place of Gary and Kyle? And just the way that Nas has progressed from early in the season, even when he was still rushing everything, he, he wasn't sure of himself. He wasn't doing what Berg always recommends, and that's just dunk the damn ball. Um he was getting blocked by the front of the rim because he wasn't going up strong and aggressive. Uh, the, the change in his confidence, the change in his demeanor and free throw shooting, free throw shooting. Yeah. Uh, it, str- <laughs> it struggled in Memphis, but he, yeah, he but, has been yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, I think I would go Nas just because I think he, his confidence changed completely. And, Now there are no questions about the interior next year. Like you feel really, really good going into next year 
with Nizier Brooks and Trayvon Scott at the four and five. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, you threw me a nice curve there. I, I wasn't thinking about him. Uh, and and you know what? If you look across college basketball, there's not that many guys like him now. No. So he, so so he's a big time weapon. There's there's not that many teams that can throw a six eleven now. Of course, you know on Friday they have a six eleven guy, so the 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 point will be moot on Friday. But not um, a real athletic six eleven guy though. True, but still six eleven into six eleven. But yeah, but but it, and and I and I see you know like you can see even in, like especially in the the conference tournament there where when he would get an offensive rebound he would he would gather take his drop step and go up hard. It wasn't rushed, but it was quick. It was like, you know, it wasn't hurried, but it was it was it was the right type of speed to get it back up there and be able to use all of your strength. I think, like you said, and something that UC struggled with against the best competition this year was finishing in the paint. You can go back and look at the layups, you know, however many they missed against all the good teams that had good interior players, and um, down the stretch, like yeah, he he definitely righted that ship defensively. Very very important. If you know, and I, I keep looking at these analytics. I mean, when he is on the floor versus when he's off the floor, it's it's a vast difference for this team. So, um, yeah, the only thing that that he, you know, you'd like to see him do is stay out of foul trouble a little more, which it's not always easier said than done with the way that the referees treat him. But still, um, that's probably that would probably be my biggest concern heading into the the, the tournament here is is him staying out of foul trouble. But yeah. Um, he, he's very, very important. And, and, uh, you know, having a guy like that in the interior on both sides of the ball, especially, I mean, dude, he's been getting like how many, his offensive rebound rate is insane of late. Like he just goes up in the country. Yeah. He's in the, he's 32 in the country, but I mean, of late he's been getting a ton of them and there's just not, these teams just can't do anything with them. So even if you're not shooting well, he's, you got a guy like him. That's huge. So yeah. Um, you didn't know you didn't know what you were going to get, especially last year. Remember, we talked last year where you were like you were really down on him, right? I mean, you you thought you just, weren't the, sure about him. It and, wasn't and, slowing down for him. Like it, it just felt like it was really like he was at that point where I felt like he would start to get a better feel for things, and it just hadn't happened. Yeah. yeah. And the light finally went on, and once it did, man, he has been really good. Uh, young guy that has you most excited for their future. Mm. I mean, I, I think the, the obvious choice would be Logan Johnson, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of starting to get a little more intrigued with Mamadou Diara. So that's where I'm going as well on this <laughs> because he's tall. Um, he can dunk very easily and he's got a nice touch on that J and shot blocking, rebounding, all that stuff. Like he could be a nasty defensive weapon and then be able to come around the, come around on offense and stretch the floor and be able to do some stuff inside. So, um, I, I don't know though, because Logan though, man, that when, when he blocked that shot in the red black scrimmage, when he came from behind, <laughs> he's had a couple of those that chase down blocks this year that were impressive. Yeah, but he didn't, but that was, he actually caught that one off the yeah. glass. So that one, that was, that one takes the cake for me, but yeah. So, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with either one of those guys, but, um, I mean, I don't know. A guy like Mamadou is, is very intriguing. Here's what's in, here's what what puts Mamadou over the top for me. Um, he could have very easily just settled in behind Nas and Ellie. 
But he didn't do that. The dude continued to keep working hard. Um, it was a different situation than than Logan was in, obviously. Because Logan had two established seniors in front of him. So th that's not to take anything for, away from Logan. I just want to make that clear. But Mamadou continued to work, continued to progress. And every time they, they you know, if, if there was a situation where there was a couple times where, where Nas and, and Ellie got two fouls in the first half. And there wasn't a choice but to put Mamadou in there. And every time it happened, and this is, this is what I always talk about with young guys in this program. When you get that break, when you get that opportunity to go in there and show coach that you can play and that you're ready to, to, to have an impact, you have to take advantage of it. You can't go in there and put him in a position where he takes you out 30 seconds later. Yeah, like the UConn, are you referring to the UConn game on the road? Yeah. Where he has six points and six boards and a block in only 15 minutes. And and from there, all of a sudden, we started to see Mama do more. And we started to see him more and we started to see him more. And now you look at his potential long term and he gives them a guy that, when's the last time they had a guy like him ever? No, not that long. I mean, they've had they've had guys like him that were probably more undersized, but but that size with that skill with that athleticism, the game is still he's still figuring it out. He doesn't he's not there yet, but piece by piece it's slowly coming, and piece by piece, Mick is trusting him more and more. That's the important part. So you know I I have to I have to say him, even yeah. though we know. Logan Johnson is going to be a major factor in this program going forward. Right. There's no question. But now you add another guy in Mamadou that, that you're looking down the road and saying, man, as he continues to progress, where is he going to be as a, you know, because he's a freshman. The people, he redshirted last year. He's a redshirt freshman. Where is he going to be as a junior? Yeah, and that's when – that's when he'll probably be a starter, more than likely, unless he goes nuts next year. But yeah, that it, it's it's fascinating to see um, a guy like that and like just watch his growth and then little things like you remember. I mean, when he first started to play this year, when he would get in there, I mean, man, you were like, dude, can I even throw him the ball? And um, does he know where to be on defense? All this stuff. Now he's playing 14 minutes at UCF, so. Yeah, the progression, it's its starting to happen before our eyes at the end of the season here. And like Mick, even, Mick talked about, I mean, in that Wichita State game, he, he booked that jumper on the baseline. Hey, close game, that stuff matters. And hit so, it with confidence. Just yeah. sank, just sank it, easy. Well, as we know, we've stood there and watched him shoot that shot off the glass with his eyes closed before yeah. practice. So that I, I forget who I was watching that with, but I think I mentioned that Um but yeah, he that that about like that eight, nine, ten footer, he can just nail those. And and at his size with that length, I mean, who who's gonna block that? Exactly. Um, all right, I think that's that's most of those I wanted to get to. Um, how about I got one for you? Okay. Biggest disappointing thing of the season for you? It could be a moment. It could be a game. It could be anything. It would have to be the last ten minutes of senior day. Yeah. That just doesn't happen to Cincinnati. Not at home, not on senior day. 
to have a team just hit the gas like that and just dust you, that that doesn't happen. And to see that happen, especially knowing how much that day meant to Justin, knowing how much that day meant to Kane, uh, that was pretty disappointing. Um, yeah. Second, second, I guess, would be scoring three points and shooting 4% from the field in the first half against Ohio State. Yeah. That was a nice bookend to the regular season for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? The first half of that game and the second half. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Everything but, else in between pretty much was awesome. Those two, those two points were not good. Well, for me, the most disappointing thing about this regular season plus conference tournament is that Logan Johnson still has not had a slam dunk. I want to see it so bad. He missed it. Yeah, he had. He tried to do a two-hander from like 14 feet away <laughs> against Temple. He jumps way too far. Um, uh, you know, because one of the things that, that sucked me back in this season was his – I told you this at the, our first podcast of the year was watching his mixtape and some of the nasty stuff he was doing. And I was just expecting like, you know, come on, at some point, you know, he's got to get a dunk tip or maybe in the open floor, he's got to get a chance. And he just really hasn't had that window to be able to get up there and do it. But who knows? Maybe it's around the corner here. Yeah. If not, I can assure you, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of that one. I know. I just, next year, I just, I haven't been saying it a lot, but I kind of been going into each game. Like, is this the game he's going to get one? Come on. I mean, they're playing a team that's a little more up-tempo. Like, come on. Like, this could be it. Let's do it. He just hasn't just hasn't happened yet. So that's my most disappointing thing about the 2018-19 season thus far. All right. Well, it's time to get into March. It's time to, uh, to, to get up to current times as the Bearcats travel to Columbus. They take on 10-seed Iowa. Um, I know you've got your scouting report coming tonight, tomorrow, some point in time. Yeah, it's it's pretty much written. I'm just going to, you know, do my little go back through and tweak business. Um, I will say the more I've looked at this, oh, my God, Berg. What is happening to your Bulls? What's up? They are they are losing to Stony Brook in the CBI by a score of 48 to 30 at halftime. Man. My Bulls and my Owls. They just uh, let me down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The more I look at this, Justin, the more I really think the biggest key for Cincinnati is to keep Iowa off the free throw line. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at it like, yeah, I know everybody's been talking about their shooting. They've got some guys that can shoot. That that goes without saying. Um, And I'm not saying that's not a huge factor. But they don't take a lot of threes. They're not a team that that chucks up a ton of threes, um, and they're they're thirty six percent from the year for the year, which is solid. I mean, UC's at thirty five percent. They're at thirty six, um, and they're at what fifty two percent from two point, uh, which is pretty middle of the pack. It's good. They've got two guys that can score around the rim. But the one thing that, that that jumps out when you break down the numbers on Iowa is how much they get to the free throw line and how good they are at converting when they get there. If Cincinnati keeps them, let's say, under 15 free throws, 
I think you can hold their offense in check. I don't know. I don't. I mean, yeah, they're still going to be difficult, but they really rely on getting up 20, 25, 30 free throws a game. Yeah, I was looking at the a couple weeks ago when they went to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin obviously plays at a slow pace like Cincinnati does, and Wisconsin only allowed six free throws in that game, and Iowa only scored forty-five total. So you're probably on to something there. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. Um, Cook is very good. Garza, the the 6'11 kid on the inside, um, he is very good. Uh, his dad was always one of the more entertaining guys to watch in AAU. Um, he acted like a coach uh, during AAU games from the other side. He would be up and he would be pacing down the sideline. Like, he wouldn't actually be coaching per se but he acted like a coach. Like, you know, timeout, he'd go sit down on the bleachers. Timeout would come back, he'd stand up, he's pacing. He's like standing there, you know, doing the the one arm crossed, one hand on his, or one, you know, hand on his chin, uh, watching the game, talking through it. He was a character. It was always entertaining to watch him during AAU games. So I, I, I'm very familiar with Luke Garza. He's skilled, he can shoot it out the three, He's got good post moves, not overly athletic. You've got to beat him with your athleticism. Um, I think Nas can do that. The biggest thing is going to be do not foul him. Do not get in foul trouble uh, and and try not to foul uh, on on Cook either. Uh, those two guys are kind of – the the Iowa offense runs through those two guys. Dude, Cook's free throw rate is insane, 59.7. Now he's uh, the one that's not as he's what 64 65%. Yeah, he's not a great free throw shooter. Yeah, and he doesn't shoot threes. But yeah, he he lives in the paint. I mean, and, and he's he he converts. I think and this just goes back to what Cronin says a lot is that you don't want to give up layups and free throws. That, you know, if you give up some threes, you can probably as long as they don't make a million of them like you you know, you can you can survive as long as you don't give them the easy stuff too. So if Iowa does happen to shoot well from three, let's say they shoot 40% or whatever the case is. Like if you're not giving them a ton of free throws too, then you still have a chance. And especially with, when they have two inside players like that, that's what you start worrying about, like layups and, you know, little five foot jump hooks and stuff like that. And then of course you're going to have to worry about Nasir Brooks. Like we've mentioned a million times getting in foul trouble. So if what I would do, if I was the coaching staff, is show him tons of footage of Yancey Gates as a senior walling up. I know you want to block these guys' shots. I get it. But we need you on the floor. Just keep your hands up. Make them shoot over the top. They may make a couple, but they probably will miss more, and they won't be on the foul line where you can't defend them. So that would be that would be my strategy if I was if I was the coach going into this because that's he's way too important. And these guys get to the line a ton. So there's your, you know, first of many worries as a, as a Bearcat fan <laughs> in this game, which there are, there are plenty, but that one would be, that would be first on my list. Uh, I, I had this pointed out to me Tuesday when I was up at the, at the practice facility. Um, do you know, Jordan Bahannon has made fewer two point baskets this year than Justin Jennifer. Wow. He is not the type of point guard that gives Cincinnati trouble uh, in terms of quickness, getting, you know, getting into the paint, 
blowing by guys. He is not looking to do that. He initiates the offense. He'll move the ball, and then he's going to set up and try to get off a three. Yeah, or um, he'll just or he'll just dribble right down and pull it and shoot it before you like yeah. at the top before even at, no matter how far your defense is extended. He is, except for that, because we haven't seen that from Justin. But in a lot of ways, he's very similar to Justin Jennifer. Yeah, except for he's an 88% free throw shooter. I don't know what yeah. Justin is, but I don't think he's 88. No, but Justin doesn't shoot a lot of them either. And I yeah. I don't – why – Why? how is he getting to the line a lot is what I'm curious about. Because he, he's not a penetrator. Um. He's also probably the guy, if you think about it, late-game situations, they're getting it to him, and he's going to get a lot of his free throws that way uh, when they have the lead. They have also played in a lot of close games. They have had multiple last-second buzzer beaters uh, earlier in the season before they fell on some hard times later in the season. Um, I'm very interested to see Cincinnati's game plan defensively and then offensively. You have to think Iowa's going to throw a ton of zone. I would, yeah. They can't guard Cincinnati man-to-man. No. They don't have anyone remotely close to putting on Jaron Cumberland. And I just – Keith Williams, I think, would give them a lot of trouble. I think they're going to have to play a lot of of zone against Cincinnati. Yeah, and and if teams decide they want to do that, then they're just opening themselves up to – pretty much a free-for-all on the offensive glass for UC because you know they're going to send multiple bodies. Yeah. And they have they have Keith Williams. They have Nasir Brooks, a top 40 in the country. You know, you think Trayvon's been been doing stuff too. And then um, you even have, you know, Jaron's been getting in the mix a little bit. But so they can do that if they want. And they probably will. I mean, and Fran, the way it seems to me, you know, I've been watching some of their film, some of their games. I watched some earlier this year. Is it like – he knows that he doesn't have quickness. He doesn't have high flyers and he just doesn't really have a great like individual defensive. He doesn't have guys who are in great individual defenders. So he just tries to just keep switching it up and seeing if maybe he'll keep you off balance. So you can't get settled in and he'll throw his own for a little while. Then he'll throw a press and he'll you know, play man. He'll, you know, and, and it just, I think that's like, that's like the only thing he can do. Cause you got, I mean, you got slow guards, you got big guys who aren't, you know, vertical type players. I mean, their best shot blocker is Nicholas Bear at 1.1 a game. Um, six, seven seat redshirt senior off the bench, kind of like a do everything type of player. So I, it just seems like he's just like, nah, I'm just going to keep mixing it up and hopefully, you know, keep him off balance. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be critical, uh, especially for Justin recognizing what they're in and getting UC in something that, that they've worked on uh, designed to attack it. I thought against um, Wichita State, they ran a lot of zone, and I thought early it kind of gave Cincinnati some problems. But as Trey Scott got some confidence there in the middle of it, I thought, you know, the, the lid came off. Um, so hopefully they'll find some rhythm similar to that. Uh, and Wichita State is, is much more athletic than than Iowa in terms of filling the gaps and – and recovering uh, in zone position, so yeah, um, the, I think I think zone offense is going to be a, a, a pretty big key uh, in this one as well. I, I'm also interested in another take, Mister Berg. 
how important to you is tournament experience? Because Cincinnati has a crap ton of it. And Iowa has one guy, Nicholas Bear, that you just mentioned, is the only guy on the Iowa roster that has played in an NCAA tournament game. Big deal? No big deal? What do you think? I would say probably not that big of a deal because a friend of mine, a great friend of mine, Andy, you know, I've, I've mentioned him before. He's a, he's a numbers guy. We've gone through a couple of years. We went through and looked at like all different types of stuff. Like, you know, how experienced the team was, how they did in the conference, how they did in the conference tournament. Like we looked at all this stuff and it's like, there's really no rhyme or reason to this stuff. It's a one game shot. Like Iowa could have never played in the tournament and they could, they could shoot 50% from three and win. So, um, but that being said, I mean, there is something to be said for, for Cincinnati being able to, especially in all these close games this year, like kind of have a little more poise potentially down the stretch and, and, and have some more experience executing in a big moment like that. But I don't, I don't know. I I don't think that there's one, you could say it's one thing or the other with, with in this tournament. I just, with anything really, there's always an exception to every little thing, but what do you think? I do think it's a factor early in the game. Um, d- because I think nerves are a factor. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're or, or maybe being too hyped up. Maybe being, you know, a little, a little out over your skis. Trying to, to make something happen. And I think this is, you know, this is a situation if, if Cincinnati can come out and jump on them early. I think it could be a big problem. Yeah, Iowa, if you look at a lot of their scores, like when they – I mean, they've they've lost some close ones, but they've also had some, and especially down the stretch here, where it looked like they got behind and were like, well, we're in trouble. I mean, like Rutgers beats them 86-72 at home. Ohio State 90-70 to away. They, had, they, had, they basically had three straight games where they lost by either 20 or 14 down the stretch here, and then they lost by 21 to Michigan. So it seems like if you can get a lead on them – it's it's going to be a lot harder for them to come back than it is if they were already ahead and they can just play free and shoot because they don't have the type of defense to I don't I don't think to be able to say like well we're going to get stops here for the next five minutes so we can get back in this game but either way yeah I mean the, the beginning of the game yeah I, I would I would think that there is something to that that the nerves thing I'll give you that all right you got anything else. Well, I and I, and you'll see this in my preview, and I, I I wrote a whole article about it this week about the you know UC's defense in the tournament. It's just like God. I mean, how many times do they have to keep getting matched up with these like just you know versatile, high octane, low turnover, great shooting offenses? And maybe it's just that the the tournament has, I guess, the best offensive teams in the country generally make the tournament. Maybe that's that's one way that's to say part it. Of it yeah. yeah, that's probably part of it. But like. I mean, the sheer the sheer like consistency of each year you're getting these you know these offenses. And so, you know, looking at UC's track record here, like they haven't beaten an offense ranked this high in, in the NCAA tournament, not even close. I mean, the the best that they had was was um, somebody in the 30s. So they, you know, they, on the other hand, they've been playing like some twos, fives, six, and seven ranked teams, and not quite like in the teens, but. It just to me, it's it's like okay, like at some point they're going to have to find a way to to play good enough defense to hold a great offense in check. 
I know Iowa's defense is 115, but you can look back at some of these other teams like the team last year. I think they were close to 100 in defense and and um, going back to like Creighton back in the day, they were like 100 in defense. And so it I, I'm very curious to see, like you said, like what is UC's game plan going to be defensively against them and um, and and how can they how can they slow this team down? And, I mean, I think it's fairly straightforward is that if you can control the tempo against Iowa, like they just are such a flow free, like I'm going to get it, rush up the floor, one pass shoot, or I'm going to shoot it, or I'm going to find the post right away. And there he's going to make a quick move and catch the defense off guard. Like they, like when the game gets going up and down, like they'll, they scored 98 against Iowa state earlier in the year. That's a ton. Yeah. And so um, they have like, if you, if you look like they've had games, they've had huge point totals and then they've had other games. So they just like, they're in the forties. So I think, to pace. me, um, pace, yeah. So pace, like, pace. Yeah. As far as UC's defense goes, like that's going to be the key, and because it, you know, if the teams are getting into a rhythm against Cincinnati, like I mentioned, um, the last few years, like these teams in the second half are putting up ridiculous um, point totals. Like if you're if you're UC and you want to try to advance, like you need to hold teams, you know, in the in the low 30s and a half, especially the second half. If you're trying to move on, you can't be giving up 40 plus. Um, you know, you, you just don't have enough offensively to be able to counteract that. So, um, you know, I was 15th. So it's it's like, all right, is this pattern ever going to end? Because if you look at UC's tournament history, like they rarely are beating teams who are ranked ahead of them in offense. Um, and they're usually losing. So this is this is one of those deals where it's like, all right, at some point, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to be able to like lock somebody up or are they going to get into a flow again? But McCronin also five and zero against high majors in, in the first round. Tournament, yeah. In the first round, yeah. So yeah, we yeah we talked about that, right? You thought it was because it's like the psychological thing. You know, if you're playing a team that's not that not a name brand or whatever, you're kind of not not as into it. I don't know. Yeah, and I think some of the teams. I mean, they've been in a lot of times. They've been in that six seven eight nine seed range where generally like the the team you're playing uh has a couple good wins on their resume but that doesn't make them good yeah you got three six eleven wins right yeah and they're all against big 12 teams right so i mean i think that's some of it too you're just playing teams that aren't really all that good but their resume says you have to put them in the tournament because the rule states that 68 teams have to make the field true so, I think that's some of it. Uh, it's interesting. I, I saw some people saying they thought Iowa should have been seeded higher. They should have been an eight or nine seed. I, I don't see that. Not when you lose, what, five of your last eight? Five six, of, or, six yeah. of eight. Five of yeah. six and six of eight to end the season. I, I think you'd just be happy you got in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of they're kind of like Temple. Well, they, their two best wins were at home. So they beat Michigan yeah. at home, which is kind of like Temple beating Houston. And then they beat Iowa State at home, which I guess is like kind of like Temple beating UCF, but maybe a little better. Um, I mean, they blasted those teams by, you know, 14 plus, both of them. But other than that, I mean, you know, the committee looks at what you do on the road. And I'll t- I got I got news for you. This team did Nathan on the road. They, they beat their, their best win might be Indiana. I mean, they, they really they really did not do anything away from home that anyone would care about. So, um, other than beating your what you who you thought might be the <laughs> win the American Conference on November sixteenth, 
the Yukon Huskies beating them 91 72 and that, whatever that event was, um, after they beat, so Iowa beats Oregon and then Connecticut beats Syracuse. And then you say, Oh, I think Yukon's might win the American this year. And then Iowa destroyed them the next night. Yeah. Just, just to bring that up one more time for you. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Appreciate that. It's real good. It's real good of you. It's real nice of you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, so. I, I was going to say something else, but now I don't even want to talk anymore. <laughs> Well, I think there was something earlier in the show where you were saying how, hey, I'm right some of the time, you know. I was like, well, I got to point out that you're also, you know, you're also hey, wrong. I, I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> That's why I have to point out when I'm right some of the time. That's fair. To yeah. offset when I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> Stra- it's very strategic, Mister Berg. Yeah. Very, very strategic. It's strategery for me. I got gotcha. you. Very much so- strategery. So uh, just real quick, looking at Ken Palm, it says uh, they think it's going to be a one-point game in Cincinnati's favor. Of course it is. So great. And Why wouldn't stra- it be? Strap in for another one. My gra- <laughs> Grandma Ruthie, hey, you want another close game? Here comes one. Although, I mean, it does have the potential for Cincinnati to stomp on them if it, if it starts getting bad. Like yeah. if, if Iowa gets ahead, you don't – I mean, you feel like Cincinnati will get back into it. Whereas if it's the other way around, the way that they've been playing, they can't have a ton of confidence right now, the way they've been playing down the stretch. So there is that there is that scenario that's potential. But I, I would think that um, those 7, 10, 8, 9 games usually are you know pretty much back and forth the whole way. Absolutely. Well, stay tuned tomorrow. Uh, we will have Berg's Iowa scouting report. I will be up at Nationwide Arena in Columbus. Uh, checking out the open practice. Uh, follow my Twitter at Chad Brendel. Um, maybe have some periscopes from there. Uh, getting some video. We'll have a open locker room. So I'll bounce around, talk to some of the guys. Uh, we'll have that all on the site uh, tomorrow afternoon into the evening. And then the whole team will be there on Friday. Brian Baker taking pictures. Berg and I uh, covering the game. We will have you wall-to-wall as the Bearcats take on the Hawkeyes. 12-15, the first game on Friday. You like that? You dislike that? What do you think of it? Well, they've had a lot of times recently where they played at the end of the day, right? So, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it would be – I mean, if you're a fan, it would be nice to, to get it out of the way, get the win, and then be knowing you can enjoy the rest of that day instead of be, you know, kind of a little concerned all day worrying about it. And eleven fifteen for Iowa. That's it's going to be an early one for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, and the last time Iowa was in Columbus, their coach uh, maybe uh, let a few a let, let, let a few expletives fly. He didn't have a good day the last time he was Spe- in Columbus. Yeah, and speaking of expletives flying, uh, shout out to to Kane Broom for that locker room interview that he. I don't know if he. I couldn't tell if he caught himself or not, but it definitely. Oh wasn't, no, he said it. It wasn't family family BCJ podcast friendly. He said it. <laughs> he, he caught himself when he said it. Yeah, but the question was like, what was going through your head? I yeah. mean, it was like, what? that's what was going through his head. <laughs> I mean, you can't fault him. That is exactly what was going through his head. Hey, he answered the question. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and and <laughs> our guy Justin Williams was all excited because the athletic, they're, they're allowed to print profanity. So he was like, oh, I get to use that. I get to use it. <laughs> <laughs> he was all geared up. But. All right, man. Well, yeah, we'll see you up there. Oh, by the way. Yes, sir. You got to make a prediction 
and your prediction is brought to you by Trace Pountas. Trace Pountas is – hold on. Give me a second. My read is not coming up. It's a, it's a great coffee, evidently. People it seem is. to love it. People seem to love it. I have not tried it yet, so I can't uh, vouch. For some reason, this is really wild. It's a four-page read that they sent me. Pages two, three, and four are fine, but page one, where the main part of the read is, is invisible. All right, well, then just tell a little personal. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody I know likes it. It's fresh roasted coffee. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that is fresh roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All the coffee you find in grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pountas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. You can find out about Trace Pountas by going to the website www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That is T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. They come in 12-ounce bags whole bean and ground coffee plus they also now have k-cups you can choose between light medium dark and french roast what you want to do you go to the website you pick your subscription every one two or four weeks they'll send you coffee that's up to you and when you enter bearcats at checkout that gives you 20 percent off every bag of coffee in your subscription with that code make sure you enter that at checkout you get 20 percent off you get free shipping and you get awesome awesome Trace Pound Toss Coffee shipped directly to your house. Berg, Bearcats, Hawkeyes, who you got? I will take the Cincinnati Bearcats. I look at Iowa, and I see their analytics against the best competition, and they are minus .08 in points per possession as far as their offense is .97. Their defense is giving up 1.05. I feel like that's too big of a spread to bet on them. UC's a little closer. Uh-huh. So I will take the red and black. All right. Berg's got the Bearcats. I've got the Bearcats. And that would set up most likely a really fun game. With Colgate. <laughs> With Colgate. <laughs> we're going to go the Xavier route on this one. Yeah. Little, uh, little, that... little 10, 10, 15 action. Or, you know. 7, 15 action. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 10, 15 have... action is not what you want, sir. If you, you – if you just put the whammy on that, if you just spoke that into existence, <laughs> I may never forgive you. Uh, yeah, you're right. Xavier was the 10, and they beat the 7, and then the 15. Okay, whatever. Either way. Nah, yeah. but yeah. But if, yeah, it, it could be it could be an interesting one on Sunday, but they, it's Friday is the forefront here, so let's just stick with that. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get through Friday, and we'll talk about Sunday from there. We'll see you next time. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.